A very good morning to one and all. I praise and thank God for your bravery in coming for service this morning. As you come in, I'm sure you would have also noticed that we have taken precautionary measures to make our church a safer place for us together. And we also try to protect the weak and vulnerable in our midst. Uh, hence, we had to cancel Children's Church, Mandarin Ministry, as well as Basic, at least for this week. We will see how things pan out. So as a result of that, you'll notice that, that there's uh, ample seats around and uh, ample parking lots as well. We pray that uh, hopefully by the next few weeks, the seats and the parking lots will all be taken. Well, there are, many, there are still many things that we don't know about the coronavirus, hence uh, making it harder to fight against it. But we thank God that uh, as of today, there's uh, still no fatality yet reported in Singapore. So I guess it's only right that we come to God in prayer. Father, we thank you for being sovereign over our lives. We thank you, Lord, for uh, the much blessings that you have given to us, given us life, health, and of course, giving us the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we pray, Lord, that this morning, even as we come together as your people, you will quieten us down to open up our hearts and ears to receive your words. And we pray that you will also work through my feeble lips to preach forth your words with faithfulness and clarity, and that we will all be empowered by the Spirit to obey. For we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what is the greatest threat that you and I face today? If you're thinking of the coronavirus, it is not the coronavirus. It is something unseen, yet much deadlier. It is our sin. Sin has affected every single one of us, and its mortality rate is 100%. As compared to the coronavirus, it's only 0.2% outside of China. No amount of hand washing, hand sanitizer, or face masks, of course, many, many of which you can't get it anymore, can prevent the spread of this threat. Sin brings about much devastation upon humanity. And if you and I, in God's wisdom given to us, if you and I were to guard against coronavirus, then how much more should we guard against sin? And so today's passage in Genesis chapter 4 gives us an insight into sin. What effect has sin had on humanity outside Eden? And how does sin look like? Genesis 4 opens with the birth of two child. See, despite Adam and Eve's rebellion against God and them being banished from the Garden of Eden, despite the fall of humanity, God continues to bless mankind by giving Eve a child, by helping her to bring forth her firstborn. And she rightly named him Cain, which means brought forth or acquired as a tribute to God. And again, she gives birth to another son, Abel. And we were told that Cain worked on the ground, and all likelihood, he's a farmer. And for Abel, he keeps the flock. And both of them brought a voluntary offering to the Lord as part of their worship, according to their profession. So Cain, being a farmer, he harvested some fruits and he brought some fruits to the Lord. And Abel, who keeps the flock, he brought an animal sacrifice to God. But Abel and his offering was uh, accepted by God. 
whereas Cain and his offering are not accepted by God. Two offerings were made. Why would God accept one offering yet not the other? See, the difference between Cain and Abel's offering may not be visible. No, the difference may not be visible to our eyes. Perhaps on that day, if you were to be standing there with Cain, we would also be very perplexed. Why would Cain's offering not be accepted by God? Did God see something that we don't? Let me just share with you a short story uh, to illustrate this point. I, so I know of this guy. Uh, he was making his way home from work uh, one night when suddenly he remembered that it was his wedding anniversary and he hasn't got anything, bought anything for his wife. So he quickly got off at the next station and rushed into a shop and bought two bottles of pasta sauce for her. He got a bottle of carbonara pasta sauce because he assumes that's what his wife likes. And he also got a bottle of tomato-based pasta sauce because that was what he likes. And when he got back home, he gave it to his wife as a wedding anniversary present. Guess what was his wife's reaction? If you really want to know, please speak to my wife after service or when you see her around. <laughs> so, why would God accept one offering and not the other? Well, from the text in verses 3 to 5, we see that in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions, from some, some of the firstborn of his flock. If you look at the passage hard enough, perhaps Cain gave God some pasta sauce. He offered God some fruit. Whereas Abel offers God his, the firstborn of his flock, the firstling which means if he were to have uh, maybe a pair of uh, sheep and the sheep give birth to one little lamb, he would offer it to God. Would he know that if the sheep would give birth to other lambs? Not sure. And how long before the next lamb come along? Not sure as well. But he offered the first to the Lord. This would demonstrate his faith in the Lord, that God is his provider. And the passage also tells us that he offers God the fat portion. Uh, most of us are Chinese, right? We like the fat, fatty portion as well, right? Yeah, so the fat portion is actually the best part uh, according to Hebrew culture, and he offers it to the Lord. In, in other words, Abel first gave God his heart before he gave God his offering. He trusted God as worthy, as sovereign, as provider over his life. And the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, confirms that God was pleased with Abel because of his faith. It repeats for us three times, by faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he's dead. Abel had faith in God, because he trusted in God. And God accepted Abel and his offering because of his faith. Back in Genesis chapter 4, it tells us that God accepted not just the offering, but Abel, because Abel's heart was right before God. 
So why would God accept one offering and not the other? Because God first looked at our hearts. God looks at the worshipper, not just the sacrifice. It is the attitude and not the content of the sacrifice that is the deciding factor. But guess what? Oftentimes, you and I, we behave like Cain instead. When we have no faith in God, when we no longer trust Him as our provider, we no longer think that He's worthy, we no longer worship Him as God. We decide that God don't deserve our wholehearted worship, and hence we devalue our worship to God by giving Him our token worship, our pasta sauce. Yes, we may come and during offering, we may give God our money, but not our heart. No, uh, New Year has just passed, isn't it? Or maybe we are still within the 15 days of New Year, I suppose. Well, when you go for visitation, and I'm sure you have prepared uh, Ang Pao red packet along, right? But sometimes you will realize that you run out of red packet and then some random uh, kids, relatives' kids, come along and then, oh, you got no Ang Pao. What do you do? You just, perhaps most of us will just uh, ransack our uh, handbag and wallet, grab some money, put it into an uh, empty red packet, and then give it to them, isn't it? Now, how many of us would prayerfully prepare our offering, financial offering, giving to the Lord beforehand? That means you come, you come prayerfully, and then you come prepared, and then when the offering bag comes, comes by, you put it in. But I guess many times we will just uh, randomly uh, ransack our bag as well, uh, maybe pull up some notes and drop it into the offering bag. Well, not all giving is worship, and such giving is not pleasing to the, to the Lord. Because God ain't broke. He don't need our money. He wants our heart. And for token worship, well, like a VIP who uh, not oftentimes turn up uh, for the opening of an airport or attends a school graduation ceremony as a GOH, uh, maybe perhaps we, some of us, we grace God with our presence here today. You know, we just come here this, this morning for service but not give Him our lives. God don't want your mere presence here today. God call us to love Him with all our hearts, all our minds, and all our souls. God wants all of your life, every part of you that He has created, belongs to Him. See, brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm a husband to my wife. Not some of the time, not half the time, not most of the time, but all the time. I must be a husband to my wife at my workplace, not just at home. My heart must be towards my wife, even when I'm in the midst uh, with my other female colleagues or friends. I, am, I must be a full-time, 100% husband to my wife, even when I travel overseas alone by myself. Likewise, there's no such thing as a part-time or sometime Christian. We worship God all the time, in every aspect of our lives. We are to love God, not just here, but at our workplaces. And we were to love God even when things get difficult in our lives, even at a time like this. So moving on, back to Genesis chapter 4. How did Cain respond to God not accepting his offering? The passage tells us that Cain was very angry. And his anger is displayed on his face 
when his face was downcast, or in Hokkien we call it bin chao chao. His face was black. He was utterly disappointed with God, that God didn't act the way he wanted God to act, and that his brother Abel received what he thought he ought to receive. And that day, Cain's heart wasn't worshipful towards God or loving towards his brother. His heart turns inward. I was just uh, doing a research for this uh, sermon. came across uh, an article, a uh, Straits Times article about two years ago. Uh, there was this guy, he proposed and declared his love for this girl in Singapore. But the girl rejected his love. And as a result of that, he stabbed her many, many times. And he was arrested and sentenced to 14 years in prison. How can a guy who proposed and declared his undying love to a girl turn around and stab her almost to her death? See, brothers and sisters in Christ, sin is not merely, merely doing something bad. Martin Luther puts it this way. He said, sin is man curved in upon himself. When our focus is not on God or others, but our focus is on ourselves. When you and I become the center of our own universe, I guess I have to correct myself. Cain wasn't worshipful that day, but Cain is worshipful that day, but he worships himself. So how are we like Cain? Let me ask you a question. Even right now, as you are sitting here, who do you think about the most while you are sitting here today? God or yourself? Even when we are serving God or others, sometimes we are actually serving ourselves. Even when you are doing good, even when you are helping the poor, even when you enter into friendships, even when you come into church or study the Bible or try to obey the Ten Commandments, sometimes it's always about us. We can come for service and wonder what God can do for us today. And we wonder how we can be entertained by the sermon instead of asking how we ought to worship God by obeying His words and what areas of our lives we need to die to in order to glorify God. Our sinfulness turns worship and ministry into acts of religious self-righteousness. We seek glory. Perhaps as DG leaders, you seek affirmation from your DG members that you are such a good leader, that you can lead the Bible study so well. Even as we appear to serve Him, oftentimes we seek our own glory as we rob God of His glory. And we pastors are at the greatest risk. So we desire your prayer that God will guard our hearts that our hearts will always turn towards Him rather than turning inwards. And we see that when we are curved inwards, then how we relate to God will be all about us. God must relate to us according to our way, on our terms, to fulfill our agenda and will. When we want God to answer our prayer, what if one day you pray and God don't answer your prayer? according to your timing. Will you still trust in Him? Or will you be angry with Him? What if, like Cain, where you thought that God bless my neighbor 
something with what I deserve instead? What if you are longing for a child and you've been praying for many, many years, but you still remain barren, but instead your DG member, has a, no, a newlywed, has a child instead? Would you praise God? Would you be able to praise God and thank God for his child? Or would you be angry with God and bitter towards him? Beware, brothers and sisters in Christ, we can be like Cain. So how did God respond to an angry worshipper? Well, God counseled Cain with love and patience, like a loving father. God gave advice and counsel to Cain for him to do better next time. So perhaps some of us have children. Let's say our, our child don't do too well for his uh, exams. He didn't do too well for his PSLE. Most of us would encourage him to say, boy, it's okay. You just need to try harder, right? And perhaps you might also warn him that, you know, there are certain slothfulness in your life which you need to repent from. Likewise for God, God also warns Cain that Cain, this is not about Abel's offering. This is about your heart. And God warns Cain that sin is lurking in his heart. Sin is like a crouching beast waiting to devour us. And so when once we start making small compromises to sin, sin will rule over us. So Cain was told by God to master over his sin. So what is sin? Sin is faithlessness. When you and I don't give God our wholehearted worship. Sin is deciding that worship is all about us. So despite receiving God's wise counsel, how did Cain respond to God's advice? Well, we see next from verse 8 to 16 of Genesis 4 that Cain has two choices staring before him. He can either take God's advice or he can allow sin to master him. Likewise for you and I, we have two choices too. We can either live under God's rule Okay, well, we can live under sin's rule. Cain allowed sin to be his master. In fact, sin got his heart much earlier when he rejects God as his Lord. And on that fateful day, Cain proceeds to act out what was already in his, in his heart, to shed blood, to destroy God's very creation, his brother Abel. Cain murdered his brother. The very hands that worked the ground to bring forth fruit now murders his brother. And I'm sure those days guns are not invented. It wasn't a pull of the trigger. I think his hands would have, the, the murder would be brutal and cold-blooded. Why would Cain do that? Why would Cain kill his brother? See, on that day, Cain didn't think about the hurt and pain that he would bring to God by destroying his creation. All he thought about was his own hurt. Cain didn't consider Abel as his younger brother when he inflicted suffering and immense pain upon him when he brutally murdered him. All Cain thought about was his own pain instead. Cain didn't think about the grief and sorrow 
that he will bring upon both his parents, Adam and Eve, by killing their precious son. He would have, on that day, he would have ripped their hearts out from their bodies. All he thought about was his own sorrow. All Cain thought about was himself. He is at the centre of his universe. His pride, his ego, and Cain will allow no one to stand in his way. That is sin. The killing of Abel shows us that Cain has no regard for God in the first place. Cain devalues his worship to God earlier. Now Cain devalues God's creation of life. And although God promised that death would come upon humanity because of our rebellion upon Him in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, but the first death that enters the world comes through the hands of one man, Cain. So brothers and sisters in Christ, what does it mean for us and what lessons does the mother of Abel has? That sin is lurking in all our hearts. What lies within our hearts is more dangerous than, than what lies outside of us, which means sin is deadlier than the coronavirus. Sin is more dangerous. It is waiting, it's crouching at our hearts, waiting to devour us, especially when we give in to anger. It also means that beware of our fragile ego, our pride, where we are at the centre of our own world. This is a true story. I was told that um, families squabbles, family quarrels, and sometimes it leads to cold war for many, many, many years, where family members don't talk to each other, oftentimes happen because of fragile ego. There was this person, he was the eldest among his siblings. So during uh, a reunion dinner, as they all gathered um, for dinner outside at a restaurant, as the elder, eldest in the family, he offers to pay for the dinner out of his generosity. And guess what? His siblings were angry. Why? Because they felt insulted. How can my brother pay for dinner? Why? He see me know up that I got no money to pay for dinner. And family squabbles because, uh, turned up because of that. And after that reunion dinner, the family broke up. And the siblings refused to talk to each other for many, many years. And it all happened because of fragile ego. What if the guy, the elder brother, as the eldest son, he, he, he says, oh, let's not pay, let's, I, I will not pay, let's go Dutch. Perhaps others will get offended too and say, wow, as the eldest brother, you're so stingy. How come you demand that we go, go on Dutch? Either way, with fragile egos, there's no win for all of us, isn't it? And did you know that temperature taking mingled with man's ego can split a church? This is a true story, okay? Temperature taking is very dangerous, okay? Why? Because back in my old church, I won't mention which church I come from in Singapore, during the SARS period, likewise, temperature taking for all was implemented. But the senior pastor of the church refused to have his temperature taken. And the elders was very angry with him. And there was a huge clash of ego. A church EOGM was called. Of course, the, the temperature taking was, was actually only the symptom. The root cause was their ego. And as a result of that, the church was split into two. This is a true story, okay? So beware our big ego. When your ego is big and fragile, 
Likewise for us, we get angry with people that, hey, I come to church, but you don't recognize my gifts and talents. As pastors, as elders, as deacons, as DG leaders, we get angry with people because people don't give us the, our due respect. You know, as church leaders, be very careful, brothers and sisters in Christ, for the devastating effects of sin is, is terrible. When we sin against God like that, we don't think about the pain we cause to God when we bear hatred against another. When we don't consider the devastation of our anger, our greed, our lust that it will bring upon our family, our children, our friends, and upon the body of Christ when we give in to sin. So moving on with the story, Cain proceeds to murder his brother, Abel. So let me ask you, what's the penalty for murder here in Singapore? Okay, Hao Gang is a lawyer. So what's the penalty for murder? Death penalty, right? Yes, okay, just checking. Okay. Yet for God, God didn't demand a life for a life. Instead, verse 9 and 10 tells us that the forgiving God, He gave Cain an opportunity to confess his sin when he confronted him with the question, where is your brother? Just as he confronted Adam and Eve, where are you? Giving them a, an opportunity to own up. And God, the holy God, confronts Cain for his sin in verse 10 when, we, when he asks Cain, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. But how did Cain respond to God, grace and patience towards him? Cain responds with no confession and no repentance. Instead, he sold God a lie with, I don't know. And then Cain proceeds to shift the blame to God by responding, Am I my brother's keeper? Implying, God, are you not Cain's keeper? Why are you asking me? I'm not my brother's keeper, isn't it? You are. Isn't this how we often uh, react when we are confronted with, with our sins? As Pastor Chris often puts it, we HDB. We, when we are confronted with our sins, we will hide. We will try to cover up our sins. We will deny, you know. And we will blame others. We will blame our, our wives, our children. You know, uh, I've been overworked. You know? Yeah, that guy cut in front of me without signaling. Therefore, he deserves the, de the, 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 the finger or whatever. You know? But why would Cain hide, deny, and blame God when God confronts him with his sins? Well, I guess because Cain has no faith in God. And what do I mean? Cain didn't trust that God was good and gracious to forgive him of his sin. He didn't trust God's good character, that God is able to restore his relationship. And likewise, Cain's sin is also our sins. For whenever we sin against God, the first thing we do is to foolishly run away from God instead of running towards Him because we have no confidence that the blood of Christ is sufficient to forgive and cleanse us of our sins. That's why we will run away. Because we think that God is a tyrant who can't wait to destroy us. We don't believe that God is a good and loving God. So at the end, how did God punish Cain? We see in verses 11 and 12. Let's read this together. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. 
When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. According to these verses, Cain got fired from his job and he got evicted from his home. Cain, who was once a farmer, now the ground is cursed and no longer fruitful for him. So he lost his job and he got evicted by God and he now lives as a vagabond with no root, no place to settle down, moving from place to place like a fugitive. But despite deserving the death penalty and receiving God's grace and mercy, Cain still continues to be self-absorbed and he protests against God in verses 13 to 14. Allow me to dramatize it this way. He would probably say to God, God, you are a bad judge. You are simply unjust. My punishment is more than I can bear. And God, you never liked me in the first place. Today, you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. And God, are you trying to kill me? I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. And now the murderer is fearful of being murdered by his own family member. Even at this stage, Cain is still at the centre of his own universe as he only considers his own pain and punishment and not the grief that has brought upon God and his parents and Abel. He's not even sorry for his sin. He's only concerned about the cost that he now has to pay for his sin. Many times when an adulterer is caught, red-handed for adultery, He's only concerned about how much he needs to pay for the divorce proceeding. And when a sinner is caught and is worried more about the punishment he has to face, you know he has not repented. He's only repented and there's only a glimmer of hope when he's truly broken for the pain that he has brought to God, to his family members and to everyone who have loved him. And we continue to see God pouring out His grace upon grace upon Cain. Even as Cain feels to be his brother's keeper, God continues to serve as Cain's keeper. In verse 15, it reads, God said to Cain, Not so, anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. Although Cain departs from God's presence, Cain never departs from God's protection. Cain receives both, both divine judgment as well as divine grace that day. Verse 16, So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. The, the devastating effects of sin has set in with the rejection of God as king. Cain proceeds to be his own king by murdering his brother Abel. Even as death sets in, grief abounds, relationship shattered, and spiritual alienation from God kicks in. And the final point we will see is from verse 17 to 26, that despite the sinfulness of Cain, you would imagine that God would have withhold his blessings upon Cain and his descendants. Not so. Three things can be observed about Cain's family from verses 17 to 22. 
First, God continued to pour His blessings of progeny, cultural and technological advancement upon Cain's family. We see on the table on the left that there's seven generations of Cain. Cain and his family continues to be fruitful and multiply. And we also see cultural advancement as Cain starts to construct a city. Jabal started animal husbandry. Jubal is known as the father of arts and music. Tubal Cain, the father of science and technology. So the first point, we see that God continues to bless the unrighteous. Second, we see that Cain's descendants has no relationship with God at all. There's no mention of them worshipping God throughout the seventh generation. Instead, one of their descendants is named after the murderous Cain, Tubal Cain. And thirdly, and very sadly, the account of Genesis 4 begins with the murderer, Cain. And it will end and zoom in on another murderer from Cain's family, Lamech. Well, if you think that Cain is bad, wait till you meet Lamech. Firstly, Lamech disdains God's good design of the marriage of one man and one woman. He refused to be faithful to his God-given wife when he marries another woman and becomes the first recorded person in the Bible who commits bigamy. And bigamy, as I deem it, is oppression. Why? Because Lamech would have deprived his wife of his exclusive love and stripped her of her rightful status of being his wife, his helper, and share it with another. And secondly, Lamech, like his forefather Cain, disdains the sanctity of life. In fact, Lamech is far worse than Cain. In verse 23 to 24, Lamech said to his wives, Ada, Ada and Zillah, listen to me, wives of Lamech, hear my words. Is there a slide for this? I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me, for bruising me, actually the word, bruising me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. See, after Cain murders Abel, his brother, Cain tries to hide his sin from God and he sought God's protection after the murder. But here Lamech shamelessly boasts about his sin. He boasts about killing a young lad for bruising him. In his boast to his wives, Lamech sought provocation to challenge others. And I believe in those days, if there was YouTube or Facebook, Lamech would have filmed, recorded his murder and posted it on Facebook and boast about it and provoke and challenge anyone to challenge Lamech. In fact, this morning, if you have read the news, there was a soldier who went on a shooting rampage in Bangkok, in a very pop popular shopping, uh, shopping mall in Bangkok, Terminal 21. I believe uh, those of you who have been to Bangkok would have heard of Terminal 21. He recorded his boast that he's going to kill, and he starts shooting, and some of the, the, the shooting was, was even recorded. And 20 people, last I read, 20 died. It just happened this morning. I believe that would be Lamech too, back in those days. And Cain, he needed God's protection. 
But Lamech boasts that he's capable of protecting himself. In fact, he boasts that he's better than God, who only avenged seven times compared to Lamech 77 times. And Lamech proclaims to be king overall. He doesn't need, he doesn't seek to live under God. He seeks to be God. We see that even as God avenged a death with punishment, seasoned with grace and mercy, Lamech avenge an injury with death and boast about it. Although the culture flourished with God's blessings, but this culture is twisted. It doesn't seek to serve God and others, but to exploit, to oppress, and is self-seeking. So what lessons does these verses have for us? Brothers and sisters in Christ, do not mistaken human achievements for our progress in our standing before God. See, our children may get good grades in school, they may get into a good school, but it doesn't mean that they are walking right with God. Sin, sin is lurking in your child's heart. What is inside of your child is more dangerous than what is outside of him. As parents, if you and I know how to protect our children from the coronavirus, then how much more are we to guard them against the sinfulness of their foolish hearts? See, we, we invest a lot into the academics of our children, isn't it? How much do we invest in their spiritual life? As parents, do we say, oh, okay, you can skip basic and children's church. There's uh, ballet lessons, tuition, you know, uh, exams coming out. Uh, it's more important than going for basic or children's church. Or do you encourage them as godly parents to come for basic and children's church to listen and learn God's word together with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? Of course, for the next few weeks, um, there's no basic and children's church. So I would like to urge you, you know, as a pastor serving in basic, to urge you to have family devotion. As fathers, we are to take the lead. No, we have to not just live godly life so that our children can, can you know, not just lead family devotion so that our children can hear about God, but to lead godly life so that they can see God in our lives as well. We need to guard them against sin, and the only way to guard them is to draw them to God. And just because we are technologically more advanced, it doesn't mean that we, that we are less sinful. It simply means that our bombs are now more capable of killing more people than Cain and Lamech add together. We see that the coronavirus has brought up the ugly side in Singaporeans, even as we proclaim ourselves to be first world nation. We see the spread of fake news, of xenophobia, of unethical retailers, of hoarders, people who hoard toilet paper. Why? My wife figured out that I think they kiaka lao sai, you know, so they need a lot of toilet paper. That means they, they are so afraid until they, they, has di they have diarrhea, that's why they need a lot of toilet paper. And then they, they hot instant noodle. Don't do that. Eat too much instant noodle, you will end up looking like me. And sometimes our human achievements puff us up and blind us to God. But the coronavirus has humbled us to bring us down to our knees, to say we are not sovereign over our lives. You and I, we are not God. We are fragile. And that all that we have, our health, 
our family, our economic progress are all God's undeserving blessings upon us. And in conclusion, finally we see a glimpse of hope after Psalm 24 verses of gloom and doom. Of course, it's seasoned with God's grace and uh, mercy throughout. The glimmer of hope is seen in uh, glimmer of hope is seen in verses 25 to 26. Adam made love to his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, "God has granted me another child in place of Abel, since Cain killed him." Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. What else do we know about sin? Well, even as Cain, the firstborn of Adam and Eve, fails God, God himself grants Eve another son, Seth. It is through Seth's line that God dealt with our sins once and for all, where all our sins will be forgiven. Because it is through Seth's line that the Lord Jesus Christ will come from. God himself will send us a son, his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to make the perfect sacrifice to make us acceptable to God so that we can all come freely to God. See, as you compare Cain with the Lord Jesus Christ, Cain allows sin to master him, but Jesus lived to do the will of his master, his father's will. Cain is filled with pride, but Jesus emptied, emptied himself to become a man. Cain murders the righteous. Our Lord Jesus died for the unrighteous. Cain was conquered by sin and he takes away life. Jesus conquered sin and gives life. Cain takes his brother's life. Jesus gave his life to make us brothers. So God has promised that the coronavirus will one day be no more because likewise sin will be no more. Even as Abel's blood cries out to God for justice, Jesus' blood will satisfy God's justice once and for all. And even as God put a mark on Cain for protection, God pour out His Holy Spirit upon us to assure us of our salvation. So, brothers and sisters in Christ, who do you belong to? We do not belong to Cain. We belong to Jesus. Yes, sin is crouching at the door. But as long as Jesus occupies our hearts, there is no room for sin. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, your Lord over the universe, your Lord over our lives, and Father, we thank you, Lord, that despite our sinfulness where we cannot approach you freely, you have given and offered Jesus, your precious Son, as a sin offering on our behalf, that his death on the cross makes us acceptable to you, that his death cleanses us of our sin once and for all, that our sin is no more. And although on this side of heaven, sin still lurks at each and every one of our hearts, we pray that you make Jesus the center of our hearts, that our hearts will have no space for sin, that we'll live our lives.
to love you even at a time like this where others react in fear and faithlessness. We will step out to react in faithfulness, in love, and continue to bless the people around us for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.